Welcome, listeners, to A Night of Shreds and Patches, an immersive actual play podcast. This episode features the talents of... Ree as... Pally Fisher. Sydney Whittington as... Cassidy Shard. Nick Robertson as GM and narrator. Join us as we follow the Patina, a motley band of traveling mercenaries crossing the land in search of work and resources, combating bandits and wild tech monstrosities along the way. And so, join us for now our tale to yours attaches to carry hope a night of shreds and patches. Cassidy, the day has finally come. The breeze eases its way through the open flaps of your tent, and like a siren's song, you can tell the weather has finally changed for the better. Why don't you describe yourself and what the inside of your tent looks like? Sure. So Cassidy's about 5'4", 5'5". She's very wiry. She's got long brown hair done up in a crown braid, wrapped around her head with a couple of flowers interwoven through it. She's got a friendly open face, pretty strong features. Each of her ears has several small piercings in it. There's a thin, old, faded scar running vertically through the edge of her right eyebrow. She's got on a brown wax canvas jacket, some gray, flexible, but sturdy pants, and some brown weather work boots. Cassidy looks really cheerful. She's excited that the weather has turned. She sees the sun gleaming in the not-quite-closed flap of the tent and gets a big smile on her face. Her tent is somewhat sparsely decorated. There's some drawing supplies and a couple of in-progress maps uh, spread out on a little folding desk. Neatly placed at the foot of her bed, there's a small trunk, a little bit bigger than a briefcase. From the outside, it just looks like storage. But Cassidy knows that inside there is a projected light piano that she plays on the rare occasion that something needs a little bit of soundtrack and she's in the mood to provide it. As you step outside your tent to admire the weather, you notice that the mud has finally dried enough that you don't squelch when you step onto the ground off of your tarp. This is another good sign. As you step out of the tent, you see the receding figure of Wyatt walking into the woods alone. Pally, you are standing with Zio. What do you look like right now? Pally is in her early 50s, has lines around her eyes and at the corners of her mouth. 
Her hair is steel gray, cropped pretty short. Looks like it was a rough crop, like she did it herself or somebody with a knife helped her do it, but it was a little raggedy. She has the sleeves of her shirt rolled up to the elbow, so you can see that her right arm is a robotic prosthetic. And both hands, the metal one and the flesh and bone one, kind of have those scuffs and dings and scars that are the mark of somebody who works with their hands a lot. She's also wearing very kind of pragmatic, practical, sturdy clothing, good boots, pants with a lot of pockets, a tool belt that she just has a few things stuck onto. She's got her arms folded, frowning into the woods after Wyatt and glances over at Zio and is just like, don't get too close, but uh, keep an eye on him, all right? Zio's face, which does not move and shows no expression, turns to you and looks back to the woods, and they nod silently and stalk off after him. Cassidy, you see Zio head out after Wyatt and Pally standing there alone in this clearing of the camp where you've settled the snow has mostly melted, the ground has begun to dry, and the warmer spring sun, and the garage that you found nestled within the hill of this camp is sitting dark and silent behind you. Pally, after a moment, kind of shakes her head and turns away from the woods and like runs a hand through her hair and is walking back towards the camp with a little more purpose and focus. Uh, Cassidy sees Pally walking back, not bearing Wyatt or Zio, and her smile continues to be big. Good morning, Pally. I think you should ignore everything else that's going on with the night and take a break to come climb today. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pally kind of shoots a look at the garage, uh, and then we'll look over at Cassidy. Where did you have in mind for climbing? So, I've been exploring basically everything that's anywhere around here, and I scouted a particularly interesting monolith that I've been saving for the past five months for the day when I could actually use, you know, bare fingers on it um, and actually feel the rock instead of having to stab it with ice tools. Um, so, I have a great spot. And I'm sure we can have Yokua watch the camp and make sure nobody gets up to anything. And Cassidy throws a glance at Yokua. Yokua is a large man with dark tan skin, some tattoos peeking out from under his tight shirt. He's tall and looks like someone you would describe as lithe and quick, but the more you look at him, you realize that he's actually extremely well-muscled, has long hair pulled back in a ponytail, a chiseled face, just an Adonis of a man, and he's wearing a tight black t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up and just straight black jeans, and he's crouched by the fire, and he looks up and goes, oh, you're just gonna leave me here. Fine, you go do what you do. You're a responsible young man. He smiles real big, which shows off his rakish eyebrow scar in a fun angle and says, uh, responsible is not usually the word that gets used, but sure. Yeah, I'll watch the camp. Yeah, and saying young is a little bit of an interesting word choice for Cassidy because she's probably the youngest person in this crew. She's only early 30s 
Pally kind of glances between the two of them and is like, well, with the camp in such good hands, how can I say no? Uh, you want to grab something from our stash for breakfast or see if we can't forge something up on the way? You know what? I'll just let you take care of it and I'll go start prepping the climbing gear. So find something good or at least not terrible because I know what we have left. Yeah, I think we ate through all the good flavors earlier in the season, but I will see what I can do. You know, if Wyatt wasn't so opposed to fish, fish is still pretty good. Well, he's grew up on a lot of fish. I think uh, the first 16 years he lost his taste for it. I'll see what I can find, though. Cool. Then I will appear with a pack for you to carry. (laughs) Uh, And Cassidy disappears off into the tent, and there's a bunch of jangling. Cassidy disappears into the tent and begins packing her two backpacks strung with rope on the outside, hanging with carabiners, all of the gear you would need. And Pally disappears off into the garage where you've kept some of the most long-lasting rations as the winter ended to grab something to munch on as you travel to this climbing site. So you meet up on the edge of the camp. Yokua, from his spot where he hasn't moved by the fire, gives kind of a two-fingered wave as you all head out. Cassidy smiles and kind of does the one-hip-out little ching with her teeth. Pally will pass him some breakfast as well before heading off. He goes, you're just trying to get me to eat through the fish before Wyatt gets back, aren't you? Yep. Well, I guess this is a bullet I can take for the team. And he takes a large tearing bite out of the dried fish. So you all begin to walk through the forest. Cass, you know that you found this climbing location on one of your longer pilgrimages out into the woods when you were exploring. And you set off at a comfortable pace, knowing that this will probably be a couple hours hike through the woods to get to where you're going. You each shoulder a pack. And as you go through the woods, tell me one thing about nature that you notice as you walk together. Yeah, so this is very early spring. The snows are finally melting. The hints of fresh greenery on the trees are starting to show. So you can still see the sky and everything all the way through, but it's starting to shade in the direction of vibrancy instead of just winter hibernation. I think kind of to that end, there's a lot more bird song. The migratory birds haven't all made it back yet. It's too early in the season for that. But the birds that don't migrate, that stay here over the winter, are coming out and flying around and being a lot more active. And yeah, you can see, I think at a few points, some birds are gathering materials to start building nests. And soon there will be eggs and more birds returning I imagine that there's not a ton of conversation as they're walking. They're both just kind of like taking everything in. Cassidy's pretty used to just going off on these adventures by herself, so she doesn't have an immediate need to start a conversation. Uh, She'll probably have one if one gets started, but until that point, she's just going to walk, observe nature, looking around like watching a bird drift past. Underneath her backpack full of climbing gear, there's a compound bow and a quick draw sling with a hip quiver hanging on one hip. In case either a good hunting opportunity for some big game presents itself or a self-defense opportunity demands to be dealt with. And she's also slipped on what looks like a minimalist radio headset 
that sits on her left temple. And there's a little transparent plastic screen that's sitting in the top left corner of her view. And you continue through these dense woods. They're just becoming green. I think that the ice broke a little early this year so that it exposed a lot of the still dormant plant life and it's just beginning to bud out underneath where the snow used to be. And you're called onward by that gentle breeze weaving through the trees and you're lulled into the kind of meditative state that the pace of your breathing and your steps make as you brush through the undergrowth just enjoying the hike in each other's company. After a time, there's some small talk, but mostly you're focused on the journey. You come to your rare prize, Cassidy. Something that you discovered, like you said, five months ago. A moon shard nestled into an impact crater in the woods. This one must have fallen fairly recently, within the last 80 years or so. The pale basalt is still sharp against the sky where it sticks out of the trees, and the thousand-foot impact crater has begun to regrow, but the blasted skeletons of dead trees still reach bleakly to the clouds above. The shard itself rises maybe 50 feet or so from the base of the crater, and you already know that the impact left cracks and chips on the largest face, perfect for climbing. You stop on the edge of the crater as the birds chirp around you and survey your prize. So, Pally, what do you think? Pally just lets out a long, impressed whistle. It's like, that sure is a prize. It's not every day you get to climb a piece of something that's, you know, not from here. No? I don't... Huh. Can't say I've ever climbed on a chunk of the moon before. Well, fortunately, that will be your job today. Cassidy says as she skips down only like twice before switching back to walking and then just proceeding normally towards the closest face. It's like carefree to the point of almost sarcasm, but it isn't. It's genuine and it's it's endearing. I think Pally laughs and shakes her head in kind of a aw kids sort of thing and will follow after and is looking around this crater with a lot more focus. Before it had just been kind of looking around, observing nature, just taking things in. Now there's a lot more curiosity of what happens to a place after this kind of event. How have things recovered and what hasn't recovered? So the undergrowth has begun to regrow. You see saplings, some as much as 15 to 20 years old. So beginning to really be recognizable trees. There's moss on the shattered dirt. But there's also strange strata of thrown up stone and soil from layers that have come from as deep as the moon must have struck. You can tell that the trees that were here at the impact were vaporized closer to the impact zone, but that a lot of them, while losing their branches, the trunk still stood. And you can see vines and smaller plants growing up the tree trunks that remain and you can see that birds have made their homes there some small rodents have as well and that it's really become this sort of bustling but still devastated looking metropolis pally looks skyward can't see what's left of the moon at this point in the day but still looks up and then kind of looks around and is like wonder what brought it down up there all that time floating around with the rest of it and then just fell off. And so 
you get to the base of this shard, the soil surrounding it is a mixture of the natural stone and pulverized basalt from the impact and the actual moon shard itself. There's plenty of space to lay out your gear and prepare. What does that look like? Cassidy throws her backpack down gently, uh, starts unraveling all the carabiners and everything, takes the rope out, puts it in a pile on one side, runs it through her hands to make sure there's no tangles and no frays, gets her harness on, gets the rack of all these carabiners and cams and nuts and all the tools that stick things in small spots in the rock that will hold a rope and hold your weight so that if you inevitably fall, nothing bad's going to happen, and you can enjoy this recreational activity without getting anything broken. Yep, so Pally, uh, it's going to be... I mean, we've done this a couple times. I think it's been a few months because ice climbing is really hard. More than a few months. I definitely wouldn't mind a refresher. Yeah, so the best way for me to do this to make it easy on you is I will lead climb this. I will give you a pile of rope, make sure we're all hooked up, make sure all the knots and everything are good. I will, you know, basically climb this thing. I'll leave a bunch of gear behind, and then I'll set a rope anchor and stuff at the top and make it easy for you to come up after me. And if you want, you can collect all the gear that I'm leaving, and if you don't want, uh, I'll just pick it up on the way down. All right. And I figure we can, you know, hang out at the top a little bit and see what's going on up there. Yeah. Obviously, this shard is pretty big, so if you wanted to, or if I want to, after I set my rope up at the top, I'll rappel down and go climb up in a different spot, because, you know, climbing is fun. <laughs> well, if nothing else, it's got to be a hell of a view up there. So Cassidy's laid out all the gear, she looks up at the wall and goes, I think it's going to be warm enough that I won't need a jacket, and that's why I waited until today. So she undoes the buttons on her canvas jacket, lays it gently on the ground to reveal just a black tank top. The muscles very defined on her shoulders uh, and her arms have climbing ivy tattoos running all the way up from about the wrist, tapering off around the shoulders on both arms. Are they black ink? Are they a dark green ink? They're dark green, yeah. And there's a couple of occasional blooming flowers on them in varying colors. And the flowers in her hair today match exactly one flower on her arm. Pally, you begin to put on your harness and the ropes and you play the slack out for Cassidy as Cassidy begins to climb the largest face. It is at a slight angle away from you. So while it is the longest face with the most handholds, it isn't inverted or anything that's going to be super challenging. The hardest part will be that this is a new wall you haven't climbed before. You don't know where the handholds will be. You'll have to be scouting as you go. And it's still very tall. So it will be a check of your endurance to see how you get up. So to get started, Cassidy, if you could roll me an athletics check at mm, average difficulty, but with a black die because this is a new rock wall you haven't climbed before. Uh, well, conveniently, Cassidy has a rank in Knack for It Athletics, which removes two black dice from any athletics check. So I will immediately knock that black die right back off. Ah, that's handy. <laughs> and I will roll two yellow and two purple. I have one success, and that's exactly what I needed. 
Hey, you know, like thematically, though, that makes a lot of sense. So you do this climb exerting exactly the amount of effort to get up without taking any unnecessary risks or making yourself too tired. You're successful. You do it by the book. Yeah. And there's a big part of climbing and everything like this is you don't want to use muscles if you can get away with not. So it's always about pushing off with your legs. You know, don't do a pull up. It looks pretty. So... You climb about two thirds of the way up with this check, just doing it by the book. Do you want to describe that action in a little more detail? Yeah. So it's like many problem solving. She looks up, finds a handhold, maybe a foot above her head, locks a finger in, brings her foot up to a spot, maybe a foot above where it's currently resting, tests it with her toe and then pushes off, repeats that a couple of times. Maybe about every eight or 10 feet, she'll find a good crack or one of those good handholds and wedge in a cam to be able to hold her weight in case something goes wrong. Attach the rope through that to her harness and everything, and then just continuing on up. She's done this a lot in her life. You're about two thirds of the way up. The rope is trailing behind you, hooked into these climbing snags and you're feeling very secure and you get to this almost completely sheer piece of the stone. It looks almost like obsidian where it's glass-like, must have fused in the heat of re-entry and sheared off there. And you can see just enough of a handhold above you that you could get a grip, but you know you're going to have to do a dynamic move and keep going and shimmy up just using your toes on the rock and grab at a better handhold further up. So we're going to do this one as a coordinations check because this is leaning more on your grace and technique as a climber than your endurance. But it is going to be a hard check. Well, fortunately, Cassidy's a lot more agile than she is brawny. So where athletics is more about the muscle, this is about Cassidy being graceful. So Cassidy for this one gets a yellow and three green, but no knack for it this time. Says this is all natural talent. Four advantages. Oh, okay. You don't make it. So you don't succeed in this dynamic move the way you want. But you do get something very nice and unexpected out of it. So what I think happens is you begin to scramble up this sheer ledge. You get just a single finger linked into this very small handhold you were going to use to keep moving. And it snaps away under your weight. And you begin to fall. But you had just sunk a spike into the rock behind you into a crack right before you did this move. So you don't fall very far at all. You don't fall backwards. You just slide back to where you were and stop your momentum. But the shock of the sudden change in direction and of the tension on your arm being released by the breaking stone does take quite a bit of energy and make your adrenaline surge, causing you to lose three strain. That takes me from 12 to nine. So I still have a fair amount. With the advantages, you're safe. I think as you hit the end of the rope, you swing around a crack that you had been following and you see a much shallower path that lets you to almost bear walk your way up to the summit. It was hidden behind the fissure in the stone and you're able to run the rope up that way, making the rest of the climb much easier. And you make the summit. Yeah, after that fall, uh, Cassidy clings to the wall for a second, looks up. Takes a few deep breaths, centers herself. You okay up there? Everything's fine. Just, you know, I'm just enjoying the excitement of the climb. 
I will try not to knock any more small rocks down on your head, though. Sorry. It's all right. I dodged him. Uh, having taken that quick breather, Cassidy will continue up the route that she may have seen in the beginning, but wanted to try the hard way. And since this is the first time that she's back to climbing with hands instead of ice tools, she's a little bit rusty. Well, and it's the kind of thing, if, if you were to rappel down and make another go at it, you would try that face again. Yeah, definitely. But since you're also trying to make a path for Pally, you're looking at that and you're like, we're going to have to like... Yeah, and lead climbing the very first part to set the top rope really should probably be the easiest way to get up there. And that's what Cassidy did by picking this face. But sometimes you have to try the challenge. And you summit the shard. You are at the top. There are several jagged outcroppings where you can easily affix the rope where it's not going to go anywhere and make a solid belaying surface to help Pally to climb. Yeah, so Cassidy does a big fancy all the proper safety checks anchor for Pally and rigs up the rope to be able to belay Pally from above, looks off the edge and goes, all right, you ready to come up for yourself? Yep. I recommend most of my line and then the second part of the line that I picked up at the top. <laughs> I think that's probably the easiest if you just want to come up. Sounds good. So yeah, Pally will start up. You will be doing an athletics check, which will still be average, but you will have three blue die because Cassidy's belaying and the right equipment and you got to watch somebody do the climb first. All right. And I'm not too shabby at athletics either. Got a, what is it? I think you got a yellow and a green. Yeah. Two successes and a threat. Ooh. You don't have to try to make the dynamic move that Cassidy did because the rope is leading you down the more easy line and you don't have anything to prove. You're coming up here for the view. So you don't have to do that kind of move And this check brings you all the way to the top. But as you crest over the top, the wind hits you and you get the scale of how high you are and that you're secured to this piece of stone that came from space by a piece of synthetic rope. And that knowledge is, as somebody who works in metal and gears and solidly on the ground, makes you a little dizzy and you take a strain from just the realization that if you step the wrong direction, you could be very hurt. Yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount of outward sign of it. I think that she just kind of like plants her robot hand firmly on the nearest rock outcropping to steady herself and just kind of takes a couple seconds because like... She did want to come up here for this view. She's not going to let herself get spooked by it. Cassidy sees that Pally made it up and then goes to check her rope and make sure she's still tied in and then goes and promptly hangs her legs off the side of the thing. I think after uh, a couple moments of kind of steadying herself, Pally will follow suit. Although I don't think she hangs her legs over the edge. I think she sits cross-legged next to Cassidy, but not all the way over the edge. And this is a pretty flat and even stretch of rock. There is a small spire that rises off to one side that comes up to a very sharp point. You all didn't climb the small spire. It's another 10 feet up from where you're sitting, but this is the best place to comfortably sit. You can see out over the edge of the crater, past the blasted trees to the rest of the forest, and past that, 
to where the forest begins to rise in kind of a shallow bowl and cuts off your view of the large inland sea and where you would been camping, but you can see a vast stretch of the land. By this point, with your long walk and your climb, it's come to be about late afternoon and the sun isn't setting necessarily, but it's slid behind some clouds and the evening light has grown pleasant and there's a slight chill in the air, but you're still warm from your climb and you have this moment to look over nature. You have done it. Climbing is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you uh, asked me along. I needed to get out of that garage for a bit. How is the night coming? It's it's coming along really well. You know, when Wyatt and I went into town a couple weeks ago, um, picked up some parts for the knee. So I've got all the limbs are mobile, but the problem, well, <laughs> the problem, a lot of problems. One of the ones I'm working on right now is trying to get basically the brain working again. It, uh, I can plug into a leg or an arm or a hand and tell it to move by fidgeting with wires and tools, but I can't get it to run the way it's meant to yet. You're supposed to be able to give it commands from the controls and it'll go, but I'm having to map out the whole nervous system basically. And there's a lot of stuff that's missing or rusted or just not doing what it's supposed to. I'm always so, it's, it's always, it's so impressive. Just the level of mechanical expertise that you can throw at this thing. <laughs> it's a, a, probably the biggest puzzle I've ever had to solve. And I'm, I'm real glad we found it. I'm really looking forward to seeing it in action. <laughs> I hope we have a good action to put it into, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see that thing up and walking around. Yeah, and Cassidy just looks off into the distance a little bit, sees a bird and follows it with her gaze. I think Polly will kind of let the silence linger for a little bit. She's kind of sifting through the chunks of loose rock scattered around next to her and is picking up good-sized chunks, kind of a good palm-sized pieces and slipping them into her pockets. She's just grabbing souvenirs for everybody. He's like, hey, how many people have moon rocks, right? <laughs> so she's just going to bring them back to the camp for everybody. But I think after a little while, when Cassidy doesn't start talking again, Pally will look over at her and just study her for a couple moments and be like, it's uh, been a, a long winter, huh? Yeah, Cassidy sighs, doesn't make eye contact back, just keeps looking out at the trees. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff. And she unconsciously runs her hand along that old scar on the side of her face. How you holding up? Now we're coming up on about six months since Owen. It really sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think Pally will reach out with her left arm, so the flesh and bone one, and kind of squeeze her shoulder for a moment. <laughs> I'm the reason she's not here with us now, you know? No, I don't know that. Wyatt makes a point of reminding me. <sighs> Pally is very clearly 
choosing her words with great care. There's sort of a long pause before she says anything else and is kind of working her jaw before she starts talking again. Wyatt is my baby brother, and I am always going to love him. But he also cannot, will not, take responsibility for anything that happens to him or around him. I mean, they went on a mission, and I saved two of them. You'd think I could have saved Owen with, you know, that whole thing. So I think Pally will just kind of sit for a little bit and be like, when I I wasn't there, I didn't see what happened. And Sparks, maybe it was your fault, but... Cassidy slightly flinches at them. There's situations like that. There's so many things happening and you have to make the best decision you can in the moment. And I know you did that, as you always do. And everybody there was making decisions, including Wyatt. He could have done things differently, too. And maybe it would have turned out different. But it's... I was brought in to be the sharpshooter. Like, okay, I made two perfect shots, but I didn't make the third. And, you know... But... What did Wyatt do in the city that had them being chased out of there where we needed the sharpshooter? It was supposed to be a simple supply run. What what did any of them do? Something happened in there to put you in a position where you had to make those shots. It's a lot of things all coming together at once, Cassidy, and you can't keep carrying the blame for all of it. And I think at that, Pally will kind of scoot over a couple inches and put her arm around Cassidy's shoulders. Yeah, and Cassidy leans into it and closes her eyes for a second. And you spend a little bit of time just being in each other's company and taking it in and feeling how you feel, having talked through this grief. And Cassidy, you see past the edge of this crater, past the first row of trees, maybe a full mile away, the glint of a familiar set of lenses as something inhuman and metallic and frightening down to an instinctual level begins to climb out of the forest up a tree Its head spins around as it surveys the surrounding countryside. Cassidy was just looking off into the distance, thinking about things, and she catches this glimpse, and she snickers to herself a little bit, and she goes, Pally, our buddy's here, you see him? And she points at this glint. It's bigger than a speck, but it's pretty far away off in the distance. Pally, like, squints and has to bring up a hand to shield her eyes from the sun and is like, oh, back again, huh? He's, you know, he's been chasing me longer than I've been with you guys. Yeah. And I mean, we had that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple years ago, you got to see him up close and personal. And that is as close as I ever want to get to that thing. I think we ought to hit the trail, get back. Make sure nothing's burned down. He'll take a little bit. I mean, I want to... I 
I want to enjoy being out here for a moment longer. And Cassidy just leans back and puts her head on the ground behind her and looks up at the sky. Pally will kind of chuckle and shake her head and be like, all right. And remember, this thing ain't going anywhere. You can always come back. How much longer do you think we're going to stay? I mean, I know you have the captain's ear. (sighs) I don't know. He's not been talking about moving on as much yet. I'm sure he will. You know, he can't seem to stay put. But, uh, I figure we're going to want to wait for the weather to get better. And I'd like to be able to keep working on the night in a proper garage for a little while longer. So I'm pretty sure I can talk him into at least another month here. I don't know if Pally's looking at Cassidy's face, but she sighs again, looking up at the sky. I mean, Wyatt, we used to, I don't arguably like buddies? I don't know. But after Owen, like, he doesn't, I mean, we're civil, I guess. It's not enough to immediately drive me away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, things weren't exactly, uh, sunshine and rainbows between the two of us for a good long while, but he comes around eventually. And while it might not feel fair, sometimes he'll come around faster if you reach out first, but uh, I reckon it might be a little different for you and him than it was for me and him. But Wyatt's not the only person in this group. You have been... I mean, he'd been here longest of almost anybody that's not me and Wyatt. It's been a few years. You're part of this team, no matter what. And we would not have made it nearly as far as we have without you. Cassidy sits back up and actually makes eye contact with Pally for a little bit. I... Appreciate that. Eh, it's just the truth. I think Pally glances back out at the forest and then leans forward and looks around. Is like, ah, I lost track of your friend. Cassidy looks where he had been, squints. Okay, yeah, maybe we should get a move on. Yeah, let's get going. <laughs> Cassidy collects a loose gear, walks Pally quickly through the, here's how to repel, don't forget, this is another fun part. Before Pally goes down, she kind of stops and is like, you grab a rock? It's not every day that someone gets to go climb on something from the moon. Of course, I have five. Excellent. (laughs) That's what I wanted to hear. (laughs) And so she will, yeah, I think then swing down over the side and start repelling her way down. You know that you have enough time before there's any real danger to take your time and be careful. But much like cresting a mountain on a long hike and seeing a thunderstorm in the distance, you can't help but hurry as you rappel down, knowing that lightning could strike. And you quickly rappel down off of the moon shard and retrieve all of your gear and pack it up and hike back into the evening light of the woods as you head back to camp. End of episode. Commencing end credits. 
The following information will be placed in the show notes for your added convenience. This has been A Night of Shreds and Patches, an actual play podcast using the Genesis game system from Fantasy Flight Games. The show is edited by Sydney Whittington and features the talents of Drew Merzieski as Wyatt. Drew can be found on Twitter at Worlds to Forge and is the showrunner for Skyjack's Courier's Call, an all-ages actual play podcast set in the world of Sphere designed by James D'Amato. Ali Grauer as Zio. Ali can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Dreams to Become. Ali is also a player on and audio editor for Skyjack's Courier's Call. You can support both Ali and Drew by joining their Patreon at patreon.com slash whimsyartifice. Re as Pally. Re is the GM and producer of The Magpies, a Blades in the Dark actual play podcast, and the owner of Skillcheck, a document accessibility service for the RPG community. Re can be found on Twitter at Rhiannon42. Sydney Whittington as Cassidy. Sydney can be found on our Discord server, which is linked in the show notes, and on Twitter at Sydney underscore wit. Cameron Robertson as Emma. Cameron can be found on Twitter at MidnightMusic13 and on Instagram at Reading underscore and underscore Dreaming. Cameron is also a player on Tabletop Squadron, a Star Wars Edge of the Empire actual play podcast, and Nick Robertson as narrator. Nick can be found on Twitter at alias58. Nick is also the GM for Tabletop Squadron, which you can support at patreon.com slash tabletop squadron. This podcast features the musical talents of Dora Violet. You can find Dora at facebook.com slash Dora Violet. The official artwork for this podcast was created by Rashid Aldroka, who can be found on Instagram and ArtStation at RashidJRS. You can follow the Patina on Twitter at Akosap underscore podcast or visit the website www.akosap.com. Until next time, audio offline. <laughs>